so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Here's to the next 1,000. It can't be any worse than what we just saw. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode 187 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, and we are back for what is the first half of a double recording this week because we had four major motorsport weekends. Well, depends what you define as major, but what we all cover here, all four of our major series, actually five if you count World Superbikes now, um, had racing this weekend. So we thought, instead of having a 14-hour podcast this week, uh, we thought we'd split it in two and see how we go, basically. So this should be a fun time for all involved. Um, <laughs> joining me, as always, um, we, we had Tiger Roll win the Grand National. We had Tiger win the Masters, and now we have our own animal, our beloved King, Ryan King. Hello, sir. I'm glad to be here. Um, watched watched all four of the big races we're covering. Kind of tired. It's a lot of racing. It's so much racing. <laughs> Why? What on earth are we going to talk about next week? This around. Um, <laughs> 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 it's like... It's like it's like like it's like when you roll on the it's like you you miss a turn. That, that, that's what it feels like now. We're just gonna we're just gonna basically just end up just like having nothing to talk about next week. You might have to tear up the script for next week. That's gonna be fun, isn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know we're, we're well structured and professional on this podcast, isn't that right? Our, our colleague from Nashville, Mister RJ O'Connell. This you you don't have to worry about me um, um, getting up to no good at a Perkins restaurant. Whoa, 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 whoa. Am I missing a reference here? Well, well, we did. Well, it ties into one of the great sporting events and how improbable it was that um, that one of them managed to come back to the top step. What, do you mean Thomas Lutie winning in Moto2? No, no. Thomas Lutie wasn't having extramarital affairs. Uh, uh, ooh. Ah. Tiger back, y'all! Tiger back. <laughs> it's it, like you know what's funny. It's like people say when it comes to sports, sometimes that a guy moves the needle. Like Tiger Woods is not the needle. He is the rev counter, the dashboard, and the entire car when it comes to golf. And what happens? Tiger wins the fucking Masters. I, 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 I and he probably should have won it by two clear shots too. I, I, I don't even yeah. know how this happened. <laughs> There I was were... watching it. I was watching it at work on Sunday, and I'm like, when Molinari put it in the drink at the twelfth, I just sat there going, "Oh no, this is actually going to happen now, isn't it?" It's like, is this happening? Is this actually happening? It's happening! It's happening! <laughs> I, I don't really watch golf, but I did fall in love with the story of Ty Golfer Kira Dash Barnrat, the uh, the the John Daly of East Asia, the man who owns 15 pairs of Yeezys and plays golf to own more Yeezys, vapes on the front nine and the back nine, and bombs around the streets of Bangkok doing 200 miles an hour in his Lamborghini. My hero. Um, 
I want to meet this man and, and basically kiss his feet. Um, <laughs> that is the life I aspire to live. <laughs> like, who needs 15 Yeezys? Sneakerheads. That's who. <laughs> Says a guy that owns literally four pairs of Air Max 97s. Guilty as charged, Your Honor. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, that is an actual thing. Um, yeah, I was, I was watching it at work, and like I said, Molinari puts it in puts it in the water on the 12th, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, it's actually... It's, it's happening! It's happening! <laughs> and uh, I was just leaving work when he... When he sunk the 18th, and I'm just like, wow. I, I, I just said, wow, my first thought was, Tiger needs to come on home, because those ball patches are getting bigger. But also, wow, he's actually won the Masters. <laughs> um, that was amazing. <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. So that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's a hell of a reference. Um, congrats to Tiger, because it makes for a great story, even if part of it is mostly self-inflicted. But hey, that's part of the beauty of it, I suppose. And that's okay. So, in the first half of this doubleheader, we'll be talking about hashtag Race 1000, the 1,000th, hang on, just checking my notes here, Formula 1 Championship Race. Just wanted to make sure I got that right, because people get very pedantic about these things on this here internet. And it's dumb. But, uh, <laughs> you could just oh, tell oh, everybody yeah. that it oh, was yeah. the 1,000th car race, and everyone will believe it. <laughs> Something like that. It's- We'll, f- we'll figure it out later. But uh, yes, it was a race 1000. It was certainly a thing. According to Lando Norris, it was race 5000, depending on what tweet you see of his. Um, and we'll talk about that and, and the uh, the dominant Mercedes 1-2 finish. Um, Ferrari's, Ferrari basically cooking the goose once again on that one. Um, a bunch of drama up and down the field, but not a lot of actual, actual action. But uh, hey... We'll break it down here in some entertaining manner. We will also cover Formula E and uh, everyone's favourite free-to-play racing driver finally got the first W for Jaguar Racing. Ironically, one race after they fired Nelson Piquet. I'm sure that's purely a coincidence. Um, <laughs> as uh, our friend and yours, Mitch Bra took Rome and conquered it. And we got a massive pile-up on lap one, because who doesn't love a good pile-up? <laughs> They're always fun, apart from the red flag that came afterwards. Um, and we'll talk about Japan, a rained-out Super GT race, um, and a Super Formula preview as well, led by one Mr. RJ O'Connell, who basically try- had a good job not putting out all of, his, all of his hair over the course of the weekend. More on that later. Check back as well for episode 188 later on this week. Well, beautifully named Rins and Repeat for thanks to one Henry Chapman. Hope you're enjoying the show today, mate. Um, he's in the Discord server right now. We'll be talking about MotoGP's Grand Prix of the Americas. Or as, or as RJ likes to say, you mean Mark Marquez didn't win? <laughs> yeah, m- more on that later. IndyCar's Grand Prix of Long Beach is mentioned as uh, Alex Rossi basically laid out the beat him down. And, uh, well... Quite a high ranking being there. I'll, I'll debate on that by the time we get around to recording it. Um, and while Superbikes are lasting, guess who won both races? No. What about what about the Basically. race? What about the the race that might not be a race, depending on how you view races? More on that later. Let's just say the weather took a turn for the worse. Uh, 
Not for, <laughs> it was not a good day for Saturday racing. Let's put it that way. All of that over the next two episodes of fun on Motorsport 101 for your listening pleasure. Or visual pleasure, depending on how you look at it. Apparently we are still a visual medium in some places. But, uh, yes. Places you can find us before we get into the nitty gritty. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. In the, la- in the time since I last uploaded, I've put three videos up on YouTube. Three! No, I don't quite know how I pulled that off either. Um, yeah, so videos all about, um, you know, the, the state of play at Ferrari after Bahrain's funny Grand Prix. A 23-minute special talking about Walt Superbikes. Again, don't quite know how I pulled that one off either. Um, it's like probably the only World Superbike-related video blog on on YouTube. So that must be worth a watch. Um, talking about Alvaro Bautista's dominance and what the sport can do about it in that sense. It was uh, pretty crazy. Um, and a video I put up today talking about, and this is a minor spoiler, as what I'll get into early on in, in the next segment, the title, Why I Couldn't Stand F1's Race 1000. And it's not for the reason you expect. All of that on YouTube currently as we speak. More on that as well on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101, our personal handles. You can follow at Harrison101HD, um, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and at RJ O'Connell. Um, and if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you ready access to the shows on via Patreon at least 24 hours before the show um, goes out. Um, as well as also, if you book us at the 10th level, you get into the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these shows live as you go out. Massive audience this time around. Shout out to Toki, to Steve, to Henry. Charles is in here. Joseph's in here as well. Brian's in here. And Cam, thank you all for listening. Hope you guys enjoy these shows tonight because we're recording two of these at the same time, um, which is pretty crazy. Um, so hope you guys enjoy that. Thank you very much for, for tuning in. Much appreciated as always. And uh, you can find all of that on our website, motorsport101.com. So after this creative musical interlude, we'll come back and we'll talk about the 1,000th Formula One World Championship race, the 2019 Chinese Grand Prix. Sadly, on this network, we don't have 60-second montages to help hype up a race that didn't feel special at all. But uh, It sure was a race 1,000, all right. It it definitely was a 1,000th race by by the letter of the law. (laughs) It existed. We we can confirm it did happen. Um, (laughs) What happened? Last year at Shanghai was good. It was really good. What happened here, lads? Uh, cars too um, far apart. <laughs> Mercedes basically teabagged everybody again. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> Let's cut to the chase here. It it was a pretty boring Grand Prix. It was a bit of a nothing burger in that sense. Um, it it's <laughs> I love the, that one of the reasons why Charles puts in the cut is that Verstappen behaved himself. He did. He, he did. drove a great race. To be fair. Best um, part of the weekend was Lando Norris on social media after the race, which says everything. 
To yeah. turn Wet. sits, lap one we go. Um, Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz, and Danny Kvyat all try to go three into one into turn sits. Uh, that leads to Lando Norris posting on social media his the perspective from uh, from him getting tipped over and then flying into space because Lando Norris <laughs> is living on race five thousand while everyone else is on race one thousand. Do 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 the do do do. I normally hate this meme, but because the beat is so fucking brilliant, I can't help it. Sorry, um, got got distracted there, but yeah, Danny Kvyat uh, was basically caught in an unfortunate McLaren sandwich, um, and was later given a drive-through penalty for his trouble. Um, I have to say, I think that was a very harsh penalty. Um, I don't think you could totally blame Kvyat for that one, really. Um, uh, I watched it back, and it's it, it felt like this is just a reputation call against it, a driver felt, who yeah. has the really the undeserved reputation of being an uncontrollable head case. I mean, he's yeah, looked I, rough I, at yeah. some points, but not, it wasn't deliberately trying to wreck him. I, I put it in the uh, very broad bin of lap one incident, probably leave that one alone. It yeah. just happens when you try to put 20... F1 cars into a very tight, like, right-angled corner. You're going to get some shit, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. And uh, that was one of them, unfortunately. It, 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 was, a, it was a shame. But, uh, yeah, Kvyat was caught on that one. Um, at the other end of the field, um, we had a Mercedes front-row lockout. Um, Valtteri Bottas actually narrowly pipping Hamilton to pole position again um, on this one. So Bottas starting from pole. I still find it crazy that we're three races in and neither, neither Bottas or... Sorry, neither Hamilton or Vettel has a pole position yet this year. Yeah, that's Funny wild. That, isn't it? <laughs> that is wild to me. that you know, it, It's the reserves that have started from the front this year. Or the, or the number two drivers, I want to label them in that sense. But uh, Valtteri beating Hamilton head-to-head in qualifying for the second time in three rounds this year. Um, good to see. Um, and Vettel narrowly beating Leclerc by a couple of hundredths over the line, and Char- Charles Leclerc being such a wholesome good boy he is immediately blames himself. <laughs> mm. That boy is so wholesome. I can't wait for the internet to turn on him. It's going to be hilarious. <laughs> it happens with everybody. You just don't know it yet, internet. Just you know, <laughs> listen, listen to me now. Listen to me now. Believe me later on. Um, you just don't know it yet, people. Um, and I'm going to be honest here, you know... The start was pretty straightforward. I mean, Vettel no, had no, such no. a good launch. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We, not, we shouldn't Ow. leave qualifying yet because uh, four cars failed to make the line to start their final, you know, their final oh, hot goodness. lap. That's a very good So, including both the Red Bulls, if I recall. Yes, both the Red Bull and both the Haas cars failed to make the line, and this left both the Haas cars failing to set any time in Q3. Oh. Oh yeah, and uh, like Max Verstappen took to took to social media and took to the internet and interviews very quickly to basically say, uh, "Oh, um, ha- there's a gentleman's agreement apparently that if they're like that in the last sector, you, you, you just you just let them go basically." And I love that that was on Instagram as a quote, and then in the comments was Lewis Hamilton who had a one-word response: "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> I love that Max Verstappen apparently, like, I know it's year five for Max now in F1, which is even more terrifying to say, but it's like, 
I love that like he, he thinks he knows more in F1 than the 13-season veteran in Lewis Hamilton that's well into 200-plus races now at this point. That's hilarious to me. So, yeah, I am, like, Vettel clearly ignored that request on track, and then Hamilton destroys him off track. Um, I am, quite frankly, the Church of Dre, as, as an official stance says, please feel free to dunk on Max Verstappen at every given opportunity. Praise be. Praise be. Um, so... Um, so, yeah, that was uh, I hilarious. Should, I, should, I should mention what he said over Team Radio in Q3 after that incident. Quote, they're such, they are such wankers, honestly. Everybody just lining up and they're just fucking it up. You're just trying to be nice, but every everybody's just fucking it up. This sounds like I, I some love biscuit <laughs> lyrics, honestly. Everybody's trying to be nice, but they're just fucking it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's magnificent. This <laughs> is way you're the highway. Um, but yeah, God, um, it's that that like I love that. That's Max's idea of being nice on track. That's uh. That's hilarious to me. Like, the most ruthless man F1 has had in the best part of a decade is coming in here uh, pretending like he's suddenly being nice. God bless him, that's cute. That's so cute. Um, so, yeah, we were already laughing from Saturday night, um, basically having uh, the elites in F1 dunk on, on Max Verstappen, praise be. But uh, when he got to the race start itself, I mean, pff, Hamilton pretty much beat Bottas to turn one and was not really challenged after that. No. Nope. Um, that- Nope, Vettel got a very good launch, but unfortunately was boxed in. Thankfully, this time he didn't drive into the Mercedes directly in front of him, um, which is useful. Um, Leclerc passed him into third place, and uh, we got early kerfuffle, um, because for the third race in a row, Ferrari played team orders early on and told Leclerc to move aside and let Sebastian Vettel through. Um... Gentlemen, without trying to piss off half the internet, what is your stance on this? <laughs> um, Fair game. Be careful. Be careful. I see pitchforks being lit in, lit in the background outside. I think it was the right call. It was the right. Vettel was clearly faster than Leclerc. And yeah. that's why they probably should have oh God, done it a calling. lot sooner. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, while King is currently being massacred, um, I would just like to say that the, the delegation of Sebastian Vettel says, HA! Um, but he also says, um, <laughs> he also says, I think that was the right call. Um, uh, I, if anything, I think Ferrari did what, it, what they did in Germany last year, and they probably left it too late. Um, yeah. They probably did it three or four laps too late, and by that point, by the time that Sebastian had gotten some clear air in front of Charles and they were trying it, they couldn't swap them back around again because Verstappen was now in range, and they didn't want to leave themselves vulnerable to an attack from behind. Um, and, it took, yeah, it did, it did take Vettel two or three laps to get to, to get his momentum, but uh, by that point, Leclerc's tyres were probably a little bit cooked anyway, and Vettel had probably chewed up a lot of his by running so close to Leclerc for the early parts of the race. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... Like, like, Ferrari, for once, people, I think, on the internet understood the team orders call if anything they just did it too late the timing was off and that's probably what did him in mm-hmm. and um it sucks that Leclerc was the one that missed out here however because I know a lot of the internet have been very quick to say but they screwed Charles I have one thing to say in response to this 
Where was all of you in Australia when they put Sebastian on the way too early undercut strategy? Anyone? That's a fair point. And, you know, they still would have had a Ferrari 3-4, you know, arguably if they didn't leave Charles out too long at that one stop. Right. They would have had at least a shot at it in that sense. They effectively waved the white flag in the battle against Verstappen by putting Leclerc in for a second stop. He got completely butt-rushed in this one. And sadly, I hate as much as I hate to admit it, and this is going to sound terrible coming from the Sebastian Vettel fan of the internet, but people are only making a fuss about this because Leclerc was the victim and not Sebastian. Because again, I sat here saying, hey... I think Sebastian was the victim here, and I got laughed at because it's Sebastian. And I get that the internet's kind of turned on him for not being the Lewis Hamilton stopper we all want him to be, but here's a secret, and this might piss off quite the, quite a lot of the internet here. <clears throat> Charles isn't as good as you want him to be just yet. Just yet. Just yet. He's got time. Again, this is a third race for Ferrari, and he knows, go, he knew going into the season that Sebastian Vettel was going to be the lead driver. It's like, it's not like Ferrari have surprised anybody here by doing this. Ferrari were open and upfront about this in the offseason. They were going to be favouring Sebastian. Like, what I find amazing about this is that half the internet seems to be shocked about this. Like, Ferrari's never pulled team orders before. Yeah, the fact <laughs> like, that Ferrari even had to, you know, preempt that with announcements saying this. Like, everyone knew before. It's like... People love Ferrari, but they also love dunking on Ferrari while loving Ferrari at the same time. That's just it. The amount of, like, the Church of Dre was open after the race, and the amount of Ferrari fan apologists out there that hated the fact that their team basically screwed Leclerc over, and I'm like, you're a Ferrari fan. Are you new here? Like, this is the like, only team in which we give a shit about the fact that they employ team orders to begin with. They're the reason why we had a team orders ban, and there's a reason, and they're the reason why we had to remove the team orders ban because they're the reason why they got around it. You know, you know what's funny about this? You know what's you know what's even more like like hypocritical about all of this? There's one team in the paddock that have employed and had their drivers break team orders multiple times, arguably more so since the hybrid era began in 2014. They're the guys in silver known as Mercedes, and no one seems to get all mad and pissy about it until Russia last year when Valtteri had to literally cough up a win. That's how far it had to go before people finally got pissy with Mercedes employing team orders, even though they lied about not having team orders in 2014, only to use them in Hungary when Rosberg was holding up a rampant Hamilton going through the field, when Rosberg was the victim then, but hey, nobody gave a shit about Rosberg then, only in 2016 when he was more of a threat towards Hamilton to begin with, and he'd actually stopped trying to basically lick Hamilton's arsehole. It was ridiculous. Like... Mercedes are just as guilty as this in the modern era, but yet we still pin this on Ferrari. Now, a lot of this is revisionist history. I understand that. I mean, some guy called Michael being on that team probably didn't help, given, you know, it, it was Michael's team for, what, a decade, more or less? Uh-huh. And and I know that's not ideal, but this team orders thing only seems to get brought up when it's Ferrari and when, it's the, when, and when the victim is someone we universally like. Like Rubens Barrichello in the past, like Felipe Massa, you know, 
pre-2010. <laughs> and now Charles Leclerc, because we all want Charles to be the greatest thing to happen to F1 since sliced bread. <laughs> and it's not as simple as that. I just wish we as fans applied a bit more nuance to it more than anything else. This ends up one of those dre, those dre rants I end up having on this show every once in a while. I don't like those. <laughs> Help. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I just don't like how Team Orders always like draws this battle line, even though, as we've seen in F1 on numerous occasions, it's like, they are divisive, but they're a necessary evil. Like, otherwise, teams would never be able to control their drivers. Mm-hmm. And that, as much as it sucks... It kind of has to happen that way. A team's got to protect itself sometimes, and that's the nature of a sport where it's it, we forget it is a team sport, and but we care more about individuals, and that's a big part of the problem that we as fans have on the other side of the glass. But hey, Ferrari still stinks strategically, and that pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, jeez, <laughs> yeah. They blew. They are. They blew it with Leclerc even after the fact. They left him out too long in that one stop. They left him vulnerable to Matt's for Stappen jumping him, and they left two points off the table. Those two points can become important later on down the road. Then I look at the constructors' championship gap. Oh uh, well. <laughs> Yeah, it's not ideal, and now Ferrari are already 57 points behind Mercedes, who had their third consecutive 1-2 finish, the best start they have ever had to an F1 season. Um, I want to say that's the first time I think it's Williams in the 90s where a team has had 92. three straight 1-2s. 92? 92 with the, with the uh, FW14B of Mansell and Patrese that a team has started the season with three straight 1-2s. You know what's also terrifying about that? I was born in 1992. Jesus Christ. You know what's even um, more terrifying with that? None of the Schumacher era Ferraris pulled that off. Yeah, that's kind of crazy when you think about it that way. Because they had like two cars in that era, that era that were completely busted. Um, so yeah, Mercedes have the greatest start to an F1 season in 26 years. Uh, 27 years, technically speaking. And, uh, yeah, they completely curb-stomped Ferrari, who once again were caught with their pants down. Um, This time, Vettel third was going to have the fastest lap bonus point. Red Bull basically sacrificed Gasly uh, in a redundant sixth place. He was way behind anyway, and they put him out on a pair of brand-new Supersofts so he could set the fastest lap. And I'm pretty sure he was only fastest lap by, like, a tenth, even though he was on brand-new Supersoft tyres with virtually no fuel in the car. Yeah, that's and, hilarious to me. <sighs> goodness, and it's it's well documented that Pierre Gasly is struggling to come to grips with the Red Bull car. Matt's is Matt's is coming along just fine with it. He split the Ferraris and finished a respectable fourth. Uh, Pierre still got to get around this car, and until he until he does, um, it may be a long season ahead of him. That said, I'm, it's yeah. very cheeky for Red Bull to take that passes lap away from him knowing that Gasly was just like I'm 30 seconds behind the next person but I'm 30 seconds ahead of everybody else because no matter how strugglicious they are they're still way ahead of everybody else in Formula 1.5 it includes the pit stop but that uh, Pierre Gasly finished one minute and two seconds behind his teammate yikes yeah. it's not great it's not pretty um 
other story. I mean, shout out to Max Verstappen. I mean, yeah, he behaved himself. He had, he had an audacious attempt to pass Sebastian on, on the crossover during the pit stops. Wasn't, you know, it, it didn't come to be. Vettel was very rough on that one. Put him on the grass a little bit there, but well defended. Good hard racing. It was literally the highlight of the entire Grand Prix outside of Verstappen spinning on the formation lap. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we got a little bit of action. A, a very, very little amount of action. But hey, we'll take it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, Verstappen fourth drove. That was an excellent race from Max to even put the Ferrari under any sort of pressure, um, and was being able to split them. Yeah, some of that was down to basically just you know Ferrari incompetence, but still a very well driven performance. It says a lot when Luke Smith was the only gave Verstappen a ten for his performance for the weekend, the only ten he gave out all weekend, um, which I think. Probably missed out one other person involved in that list, and we'll get to him in a minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Verstappen fourth, Gasly sixth for Red Bull with Charles Leclerc in the middle. Our Formula 1.5 race winner, Daniel Ricciardo, ladies and gentlemen. He's Hooray! on the board. He's finally Daniel's on the, the board, as we were worried that you know he might not be when Nico Hulkenberg had a mechanical failure on lap 17. Oh, God. Not not ideal. Not ideal. Another MGUK failure for Hulkenberg in the other car. Uh, Renault, power units. Um, come on, guys. Get it together. <laughs> um, it was not ideal, but yeah, it's a, a solid finish for Daniel Ricciardo there. I mean, that could be a fun driver matchup to watch over there because I think there was only about four thousandths between them in qualifying. Um, very, very tight between those two again. Again, like I always tell people on the internet, I think Hulkenberg is a bit better than people give him credit for. But, but uh, hey, that's the internet for you. Um, Low-key shout-out to Sergio Perez, ladies and gentlemen, because that start he had was spectacular. Whew! Goodness, and he was on the harder compound tires, starting from, starting from 12th, and he ended up finishing in 8th. Yeah, brilliant drive from Perez there. Very quiet, but he went about his business, had a brilliant start, took advantage of the other cars around him, played a brilliant strategy, and got a brilliant eighth place. Well done for him. Great drive for him and racing points in eighth place there. Um, I mentioned it as well, Kimi Raikkonen in ninth, but uh, driver of the day, official driver of the day winner. Um, A man who, after a horrifying wreck, in FP3, um, Alex, Alex Albon uh, had to start race from the pit lane, and sadly, most of this we only got to see on YouTube this morning when F1 put the video up for it on their official YouTube channel. But Alex Albon from the pit lane scores a point in tenth place. An outstanding <laughs> drive, marvelous from the young Thai fighter. Marvelous drive of the drive of the weekend, maybe drive of the season so far from Alex Albon. That is stunning. To, yeah. <laughs> to, to come up through the 10th place like that. That was that, an outstanding. Yeah, that for me was the, the highlight of the race. And he did this without a safety car intervention. Did it purely on track with pure pace and overtaking alone, including a brilliant dive bomb on Kevin Magnussen into turn four. Oh, um, what a pass. Ballsy for a man in just his third ever F1 race to stick one on arguably the most aggressive defensive driver in the field. I um, mean, Kevin Magnussen. Um, brave, very brave, and a very, very well earned point. Brilliant, brilliant drive from Alex Albon to round off the points in 10th place. Like I said, probably driver of the season so far. Um, brilliant stuff from the young Thai. Um, Romain Grosjean in 11th, Lance Stroll 12th, K-Mag in 13th, Carlos Sainz, it was 
caught in that early collision um, with, with him, Danny Kvyat, and Lando Norris was 14th. Bit of a struggling weekend for McLaren in general, but they kind of expected it, to be fair. Antonio Giovinazzi still getting to grips with the Alfa Romeo in 15th, ahead of George, both Williams, George Russell and Robert Kubica. 16th and 17th, the latter spinning on the formation lap, which Robert himself said was the most entertaining thing about the race he was in. <laughs> Is that wrong, though? No joke. And he finished two laps down. Um, only three DNFs. Uh, Lando Norris um, retired on lap 50. Uh, um, before they just parked the car. Wasn't any point continuing. Wasn't going to get any sort of result on the day. Danny Kvyat, who retired due to damage from the car in the earlier incident on lap one. And Nico Hulkenberg, who had an MGUK failure, as mentioned earlier. And uh, as, as Cam pointed out in the chat... That's Renault's fourth MG UK failure in the last three races. Um, so this season, so whatever, four MG UKs fail on them. That is alarming. As mentioned, bonus point goes to Pierre Gasly in the Red Bull. So he takes nine points instead of eight. Yay. Uh, driver's chance, driver's standards real quick. We'll get through those quickly. Lewis Hamilton now leads the championship. Stop me if you're surprised at this. <laughs> he has a six-point lead on Valtteri Bottas in second on 62 points to 68. Max Verstappen is third overall right now with 39 points. Playing spoiler for Red Bull Racing. Uh, Sebastian Vettel in fourth with 37 points. He's got one more than Charles Leclerc on 36. Pierre Gasly on 13. And still leading the Formula 1.5 championship is Kimi Raikkonen. With, with 12 points for Alfa Romeo. He's got a four-point lead on Lando Norris with eight, as does K-Mag. Hulkenberg and Daniel Ricciardo have six. Constructor stand-ins after three rounds, and it's it's kind of a terrifying sign. Uh, Mercs have a near-perfect 130 points. The... Um, only missing out via missing out on two fastest laps over the course of the race. Uh, races so far, Charles Leclerc having the fastest lap in Bahrain and Pierre Gasly having the fastest lap in China. Uh, so they have a, they have 130 out of a possible 132 available points so far this season, um, and they already have a 57 point lead on Ferrari with 73. Red Bull Racing um, in 50, 50, 52 points, they're 19 behind in third, and yes, yeah, so it's it's a bit of a gap. 40 points to Renault in fourth on 12, ahead of Alfa Romeo also on 12. Haas on Haas and McLaren on eight each, racing point of seven. Um, Scuderia Toro Rosso with four points, and Williams yet to score. Now, just before we move on, as, as well um, and whatnot, is it just me, or did this one thousandth race not feel very special at all? No, not really. Not really. Like there have been a few weeks of hype, a few weeks of hype, some uh, some neat historical videos on F one's YouTube channel, but. You know, not really the pomp and pomp and pageantry that you would expect from an event like this. It's amazing that I think the people that cared the most about this was the drivers. Yeah. Like we saw, a lot of the drivers had had special one-off helmet designs for this race. Romain Grosjean did. George Russell had a sweet Juan Pablo Montoya tribute, which, as I mentioned in the video. If we're seeing tribute helmets for Juan Pablo Montoya, I am officially old as dirt. <laughs> um, God, I know the feeling. Look at Jack! What? Look at the Jack Brabham tribute helmet from Daniel Ricciardo. Renault probably won the throwback helmet game. They did. Both Hulkenberg and Ricciardo had very simple, old school designs. 
old stickers on the front of the helmet, like the olden days. Very nice touch. Um, they 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 win the award for best fun thousand helmet tribute. I loved them on that one. That was an awesome bit of work from Ricardo and Hulkenberg there. But like I said, if like, Juan Pablo was still racing in F1 in 2006, <laughs> and Juan Pablo Montoya is still racing now for a <laughs> right. factory team in America. He was he he lost an IndyCar championship on countback three years ago. Like, <laughs> fuck me! <laughs> and he's got tribute helmets from the young man from Kingsling. I, I I don't understand this. I feel old. I feel old as dirt. Um, just Jesus Christ! Actually, let me, let me let me just do like like these like I'm just in my head doing the math. When one Mon- when like when one Paula Montoya won the Indianapolis 500 for the first time, most of the F1 field were children. <laughs> Well, yeah, the average age of the field is like, remember, half the field is now 26 or less. So it's like, they're my age. I was a kid when Montoya won that indie race. No, I was no, eight. Trey, they were younger than us. Don't remind me. I was trying to forget that part. If I may, if I may, I've got some midfield observations. Renault are performing about to par, but reliability is sketchy. McLaren have so much potential, but it's being squandered. Alfa Romeo, kind of a one-man show. I'm actually surprised that Gio's not wrapping his wrapping it around the Alpha so much. Uh, Toro Rosso, to me, probably the surprise of the midfield. Where the hell is Haas's race pace gone? <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. It's gone early this year. Yeah, they just. I guess they nope, don't nope. have the energy for these uh... long races. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, normally the form goes by Singapore. Uh, like. It's actually got early this year, which is not a promising sign. And this is with Grosjean actually finishing and not been in it half the time. It's crazy. But um, like I said, like there, there was like there was almost like more care out of the drivers than F1 itself. I mean, we had a special champagne bottle that was nice. <laughs> it was red. We were like one thousand branded on the side. We had, we had the one thousand badge on the trophy. Which is another sponsor trophy, and it looked terrible, you know. And we had like a photo shoot, but the legend section had Karun Chanhok in it. I just feel like, <laughs> like, like I-, I mentioned this in the video, but like, if you saw the legend section of the picture, like eighty percent of it was pundits, guys who we see on TV every race weekend anyway. Martin Brundle, who, as I've mentioned, legendary broadcaster, F1 driver. Yeah, I think Not like so much. just the logistics of trying to get everything that you would need to represent the history of Formula One, which the vast majority of it is in Europe, over to Shanghai for just one weekend is ludicrously difficult. Yeah, I, I mean that was what Henry said in that on my in the comments on my YouTube video. Like the logistics of having the thousandth Grand Prix in China was probably what made this so goddamn difficult. Um, like, uh, like, this. Let's not beat around the bush. The heart of this series is in Europe. It always has been. It probably always will be. And if you had it, for example, in a couple of races time in Catalonia, I think it'd probably be a lot easier to pull off. But that—that's um, the problem. You can't. You can't plan for that. You can't like say we're no. not going to have Formula One for like a couple months because we want F one one thousand to be at a specific time of the year. <laughs> 
Yeah, you can't do that given that we're already crammed getting a, a calendar in that goes into December for the first time ever this year. Like, Jesus. Um, like, you just can't do that. So it had to be China. I mean, they, I know they tried to get it at Silverstone, but Silverstone was like, <laughs> no. It's um, <laughs> like, and- April, no. <laughs> When it's bound to piss down with rain. No chance. No one is coming out for a Grand Prix in Britain in April. I guarantee you that. Take it from the one British guy that's still on the show. Like, Jesus. <laughs> Not happening, people. Not happening. Um, so, you know, they lose money when they run it in July with 140000 on race day. Good luck pulling that off in April. Um, so, yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, not happening. So the logistics of that were a nightmare. The photo shoot was a nightmare. It just did not feel special as a 1,000th Grand Prix. But hey, we had a 60-second YouTube montage that we had you know, after the, on the world feed after they showed the you know, 2019 Chinese Grand Prix F1 1,000. We had like a neat little video which they immediately put up on YouTube afterwards so it didn't feel as special. And it's actually kind of sad that they had that intro there when they had a better intro montage for when Brian Tyler's new theme was debuted. But the thing is that that intro video that they used is just a repackage. Uh, like they just repackaged the footage that they used for that remix, uh, that remix video that they used to launch the season. Oh yeah, 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 that one, the video, and like that had footage from like the last two races in it, like races nine nine eight and nine nine nine. It's like you want to talk about the history of F one, and you put like the last two races in there that literally nothing special happened. It's kind of. Kind of a shitter uh, on that one. But, well, uh, hey now, a lot of those races didn't have us reacting to it overset with Keith Mansfield's <laughs> Love Deluxe on it. This is true. Oh, Lord. Uh, uh, verdict on the race, just watch the highlights. Yeah. Actually, actually just watch the Albon montage. <laughs> yeah, that's about, that's, a, that, that's about it. That's all you need to see. To and then after, after the montage, just watch that, you know, that, that short video that Lando Norris posted. And and Sergio Perez's thought which is on Pedro is on Pedro Dolores's Twitter page. Go, go go watch that. That that'll do it. It's actually shorter if you put them all in one line than actually watching the five minute forty four race montage highlights they put up on their YouTube channel. Um, I gave it a three out of ten. I thought it was one of the weakest Grand Prix I've watched in quite some time. Um. It was a nothing burger. There was nothing fun about that race at all. We had one real on-track incident between Verstappen and Vettel. There was nothing else intriguing in terms of race action to watch. We didn't get a strategic fight for the win. Hamilton was Hamilton was never really threatened for victory um, the whole way through. Um, if anything, it was actually more infuriating to watch to see Ferrari be so fucking incompetent with their str- with their strategy while watching it in real time. Like, what are they doing? It ends up pissing you off more than anything else. The TV director was woeful during this Grand Prix. Everyone else noticed this. Yeah, he was asleep at the wheel. The amount of cutaways and like like dodgy cameramen who were just flopping on like the main street trying to like oh we're gonna be artsy and we're gonna lean back on the main street and see if we can get the shot of Hulkenberg coming down it or Ricardo and I'm like the the directors were asleep. They must have had Fernando Alonso operating the cameras. Um that wasn't ideal either. Um it was everything I don't like about F1 in one 50-plus lap package. It was just a it was a poor Grand Prix, and it was made to be even worse when you consider this was the 1,000th race, and it just didn't feel special on F1 honestly, either. Honestly, 
no one would have like they if they didn't market it as being a big, big event no one would have cared as much they they raised people's ambitions for no reason other than to like pop ratings like they're Vincent Kennedy McMahon that's the thing like they hyped up they, they they've been doing this for like over a season they've been slowly counting down to a thousand in graphics packages and those light screens and those photoshopped CGI'd in posters saying yeah count down to 1000 this is the 1000th Grand Prix and then the 1000th Grand Prix nothing special happens it's just it was a it was a branding exercise and that's what makes it so frustrating because who owns Formula 1 a fucking media company a media mogul runs this sport <laughs> and they just don't know how to do media properly that's what's <laughs> the most alarming part of this it's like Liberty Media run this sport. A media company was trying to hype up their own product, and they couldn't even do that properly. No special graphics outside of, you know, a few extra stats that were put up on the screen at the beginning <laughs> of the end of the race. It's you like, know, did you know uh, that the first Grand Prix was in Britain in 1950, Trey? Yes! Yes, I did! <laughs> and I'd be surprised that more, more people probably know that than they actually give credit for. Yes, Nino Farina won the first ever Grand Prix. Yes, I know it was in 1950. Guys, you can do better than this. And, and, and that was the whole... That was what I noticed when I was watching it most. It was like, it just didn't feel special. And that was the most infuriating part of just watching the races. That If you didn't know any better, you would have had no idea that was the 1000th championship race. And something that you'd think was a great milestone... And it just wasn't. It was just another Grand Prix. And that's what makes me sad. Because I think they dropped the ball huge on this one. Maybe not from a... Maybe not from a... They could have said, oh, double points for the thousandth race. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'd have actually been surprisingly okay with that. Um, for the most part. I was like, okay, it's a thousandth race. It's a one-off. Want to raise the stakes. I get it. <laughs> wouldn't necessarily agree with it. But I'd be like, okay, I get I get why you've done it. Nothing. I, th I think <laughs> it would have been better off if they never did anything at all. Because right. one of the things that Autosport po like posted in the lead-up to this event is pretty much looking back at all the other landmark races in F1 history and going in reverse, okay, Grand Prix, 9, 000, uh, Grand Prix 900 was the 2014 Bahrain Grand Prix, which is a classic, which they pretty much got lucky that it was the 900th race. But mm. they didn't advertise as such, it just happened to fall that way. Uh race 800 the 2008 singapore grand prix <laughs> Ooh. oh that would have been interesting <laughs> hmm uh i think 700 let me pull it yeah up. 800 yeah, like, was special because again that was the first f1 night race yeah it was first night race that's totally what they remember it for <laughs> totally <laughs> totally what they remember. in retrospect no Nothing, nothing else. Nothing else of importance happened during that 800th race at Singapore in 2008. Yeah, Grand Prix 700 was uh, 2003 Brazil, and it's like Ooh. generally, generally, like for the, for the most part, it's very hit or miss on whether your landmark race is going to be good or not. <laughs> But Brazil never... 2003, the race that had five safety cars, Rubens have a heartbreaking DNF that would have cost him a home win, um, that enormous wreck that, that, that basically almost broke Fernando Alonso's back, and a race win that was given to Giancarlo Fischer-Cada a week later. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen Brazil 2003, go out of your way to see it, it's a race that I recommend everyone sees at least once. 
as I like to call it, the turn free of poor judgment. Watch it. You'll know why I called it that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Six hundred was yeah. Six hundred was nineteen ninety seven Argentina. Uh, mm. Five hundred was yeah nineteen ninety uh, Japan. Nelson PK winning that one. Agarisa's actually. First whoa, whoa. Uh, nope. I'm. I'm. Five hundred is actually the race after that one. <laughs> oh, King King Bot is broken. Some, can someone get him some? It WD was nineteen ninety Australia, so literally no one remembered it because Japan was raced before. Oh, I see. But yeah, I'm pretty sure race one thousand and one is going to be far better than this race. Oh God, Baku's nets. <laughs> oh no, there's. There's going to be a shitstorm. It's Baku. They welcome us, and all hell breaks loose. Just watch this be the year where it's terrible again, like 2016. Oh god, I don't know what it is about Baku, but funky shit goes down when we race at Baku. Like I don't know how, I don't know why, it just happens. So, wait for Max Verstappen to win this one in a creative fashion. Probably from, like, mounting Pierre Gasly and launching over the finish line or some shit. Oh, Lord. speaking of mounting and launching, is that a good (laughs) segue to our next race? Yes, it is. After this quick musical interview, we'll talk about the mount scene around the world (laughs) as we talk about Formula E in Rome. So, when watching Formula E King, did you try working the shaft? Uh, no, because I watched it, like, just before we recorded this. <laughs> I was talking about the drive shaft, people. What, what did you think I meant? Like, since... Uh, don't, don't mention drive shafts around a Venturi or HWA fan. Uh, just, uh, just a heads up. <laughs> oh, dear. Now... Yes, we're here for the one electric series... Um, that is in good health and that Ryan King has not dunked on in Twitter in the last 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. I, wonder, I wonder if World Rallycross blocked me. So, in case you missed it, um, World Rallycross had a snarky reply to Formula E cars getting air, and it was just like, oh, hey, it's a it's a gif of two Rallycross car- cars getting airborne, which, like, it's a cool gif, but they were just like, how are we going to dunk on you because we're much cooler? And the king came back with, oh, yeah? Well, watch me post the story about your stupid decisions. <laughs> king, were you being that guy again? What guy? Yeah. That guy. Oh. King. Naughty. <laughs> I told hey, you guys, Kingbot King is broken. <laughs> they started it. They did. They start started it. it and you, you decided to finish it then, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> is Steven Jackson here? <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was right there. But, uh, guys, can I talk about qualifying here for a minute? Because, uh. Anyone can win pole. Anyone can win pole in Formula E. Can, can, can I can I talk about qualifying? Yes. I, I have to talk about Super Pole first of all. Like I know all the drivers are now bitching and moaning about this new qualifying format, how it goes in championship order now, and that's not ideal because uh, nah, that's the we best have, thing. That's the best part. Like, what are you guys talking about? This is great. Um, but Super Pole, picture the scene. 
it's a it, like it's rained overnight in Rome. It was still raining deep into the into the uh, the early days action, but it stopped raining for about half an hour or so. The track is drying out, so by the time we get to Super Pole, you get the general gist in racing that last man that goes out tends to get pole position because the track's at its driest. Now. It, the, the pattern goes right. As guys go out, they get faster and faster. Bremi, unfortunately, was saddled with coming out first. He did. Set a time. Gunther was about seven temps quicker than him. Stoffel van Dorn blitzed it. He was about 2.4 seconds quicker than Gunther was. We get to the top three. Uh, uh, Pachito, uh, Jose Maria Lopez, goes to the top. He's about three temps quicker. Mitch Bruh is about three temps faster than him. Now, picture the scene. Andre Lotterer is last man out. Lotterer's got a great shot here of his first Formula E pole position. Um, <laughs> now, they're coming down towards the hairpin here. There's a, there's a tight hairpin about two-thirds of the way through the lap. Lotterer almost loses the car at the hairpin. <laughs> now, the Formula E TV directors here deserve a fucking pay raise for this because this is beautiful camera work. They immediately cut to Jaguar, who are on the brink of, of of getting a pole position with Mitch Evans, and uh, their team boss. I can't remember their name. I'm sure I'm sure RJ will or King will tell me. I can't remember his name um, on top of my head right now. But their team boss, I distinctively remember fist bumping, going, "Come on, get in there!" <laughs> Thinking, "Yes, Jaguar's going to get on pole for the first time this season." Now we like everybody thinks it's all over, but as we've seen. Like, the track is drying out, <laughs> and the last sector, Lotterer is carrying so much more speed. Um, it's practically dry at the back of the track now. Lotterer goes through, finds a second in the last sector of the racetrack, steals pole position from under Jaguar, and they immediately cut back to Jaguar in the garage going, Oh! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have what I like to poetically call... A Jacobellis moment. <laughs> oh, kids, don't ever, like, ever suffer I what we call a very bad case of premature celebration, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if it was um, because of this moment, but later on in the day, during pre-race, apparently uh, the broadcast team had lined up an interview with their team principal, James Barkley. Uh, that's like, the one. And uh, he was nowhere to be seen. Apparently, apparently, apparently someone else from the team was like, yeah, he went to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> He hid! He hid from the broadcast team! That's hilarious! <laughs> it was like, nope, nope, we're not doing this. <laughs> I'm sparing my blushes after being embarrassed on the live stream like that. Arguably, the funniest moment I can remember from Formula E in about six seasons. This is, and as Jason asked in the Discord, yes, this is clearly a floppy award nomination. Hello! <laughs> you cannot have a premature celebration. If not, we will kill you on this show. Um, that's how this works. <laughs> Magnificent. Utterly magnificent and hilarious television. I pissed myself as that was going on. I was like, <laughs> when he lost it and they cut to cut to Jagger, I was like, please, Lottery, get on pole. Please. My prayers were answered. It doesn't happen very much as a racing fan. And it did. And it was beautiful. Oh, that was that was so good. So Andre Lottery gets his first career pole position in Formula E. And uh, we get to the race itself. 
still slippery conditions on the opening lap. Everyone's a little bit tentative as they launch. Um, I felt sorry for the guys on the left-hand side because it was so much dirtier um, on that side. But, uh, King, we got a good old-fashioned lap one pile-up. But, but I want to talk first because I I just remembered Matsy Gunter going full Takumi Fujiwara initial D through the corner oh, yeah. of the first lap. I mean, he rode off like half his car. The front wing was completely shattered. But it still looked awesome. Deja vu. I've never been in this place before. <laughs> <It's on the street. laughs> yeah, that was a hell of a save. Like, oh my word. He he was like 90 degrees fully sideways go, going down there. And uh, yeah, that was uh, quite the save from, from Maxi Gunfoot. But uh, it was a carnage full for us that we had that. We had, uh, we had a Pachito Lopez himself uh, basically bump bird up the rear and uh, almost put him out of the race on, on, yeah. on the opening An- Another untimely setback for a dude who was leading the championship not too long ago. Three bad weekends in a row, he said, after the race. Yeah, that's, that's, God. Yeah. Then we get to the pileup. Folks, remember, when mounting another Formula E car, um, always always be sure to, uh, to practice it safely and use protection. And then eat that meat. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so, RJ, talk me through this one, because next thing you know, we had the first lap, and next thing you know, we just see a blockade of cars. Lopez is, is kissing the wall. Vern is underneath him, being basically being taken from the front. Yeah, so basically, um, Lopez uh, gets it all wrong in the Cheyenne. He crashes right in front of Gary Paffett, who has nowhere to go, who crashes in front of John Eric Vern, who has nowhere to go, and Vern goes underneath Paffett's car, and in this pileup, you also have both the Mahindra cars stopped, you have Albert Turi's Neo and Daniel Abstaudi all caught in this. This brings out a lengthy red flag. Yeah, it was a it, it was the as the race director pointed out, it was a one hundred percent track blockage. No one is going anywhere. All the all the car keys are in the punch bowl. We had an orgy on in in the last sector here, folks, and uh, it took them about half an hour to clear it all out. Um, <laughs> uh, dear, I also I love that the Discord chat is basically all just screaming phrasing right now, like we're all watching Archer, um, <laughs> the Macau special. <laughs> <laughs> millions and millions and millions of dollars in damage. <laughs> I love it. It took him about half an hour to clean it up. There were some fun stories there. We had uh, a lot of a lot of Nikki Shields um, in in the pit lane. Who's having a baby, by the way? We didn't mention that in the last couple of shows. Congrats to Nikki Shields. She's a goodie. Um, she's yes. awesome. Um, congrats, Nikki. Um, we had Vernon K doing his thing. They actually, Sam Bird was able to limp his broken drive shafted car back to the pits and was actually able to rebuild the rear of the car and fix it before the red flag was pulled out. Brilliant work from the Envision Virgin team. Give them boys a beer. Um, Excellent, excellent work. Um, Once again, proving that duct tape can fix anything. (laughs) And I do mean anything. It's the most versatile material on earth. It's beautiful. So they were able to actually fix the car and get him back out there after the red flag. It took them about half an hour to clear all the cars, clear the wreckage, fix the barriers, and actually rearrange the grid because some guys had done an extra lap because they'd already gone past, obviously, um, the cause of the accident. They had to go back around and, and basically re-loop so that uh, they could balance the power usage out as well. It was a it was a tricky one, but we... Uh, 
we got it shuffled out and sorted in the end. And um, a new rule as well, because it was a red flag, the clock didn't run. Um, it's a new rule. It was unanimously put through by all the teams as well. They're no longer going to let the red clock, or the, uh, the the time run on a red flag, and then add it again at the end. They're now going to freeze the clock during a red flag and then restart it once the red flag is cleared. Just so you know, because um, that was a bit of a, a, a confusing rule for um, fans to follow at home. Um, so yeah, that was sorted. Um, we got racing again, and um, hooray! First of all. Second of all, we had a fun little uh, three-card dice for the win, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Here's, let's run down the contenders real quick. In the red corner, Andre Lotterer, who had pretty much led from from start to about two-thirds distance from Paul for T-Cheetah. In the blue corner, free-to-play Mitch Evans, who was on the front row for uh, Panasonic Jaguar Racing and was looking for that first big win since, I want to say his Formula 2 days, or what was back then, GP2, I should say, um, as it was. And in the green corner, and I'm, I'm checking my notes here, he's not been cursed by the fan boost. Apparently Stoffel van Dorn actually had a shot at a win here. Am I reading this right? <laughs> Your eyes do not deceive you. And of course, this happened right as both the uh, the Venturi cars of Edo, of Edo Martar and Felipe Massa both broke down around the same time. It was like, oh no! <laughs> it's like if the H if, if the Venturis are both going down with drive with drive shaft errors, like almost carbon copies of of each other within a lap of each other. Everyone was immediately looking at HWA and saying, hmm, when's it going to give out? <laughs> we know how this story goes. <laughs> and amazingly, it didn't happen. Like, Stoffel was actually there all the way through. I think what I heard after the Race King was that I think what did Stoffel and made him drop off the leading group was I think that HWA were envisioning the fact the race was going to go one lap longer than it did. Yeah, a lot, of the teams, were- a lot of the teams thought that. Uh, but, like, if you watch the race, constantly over the radio, Jaguar were pretty much pacing Mitch Evans at the front of the field because they knew that he had to cross the line at the precise moment to end the race shorter than, you know, what everyone else thought it was going to be. Yeah, crossing for the final lap, you know, after the, the, the time runs out so that he did have to compete one extra lap. So they were, they were like, Mitch had made a outstanding move on Lotterer um, at, at the very, just before the very tricky chicane complex, which you, you don't normally put down as a passing opportunity. A little <laughs> bit of rubbing, but uh, Mitch got through. They were both given warnings. That was the end of the matter, mm-hmm. thankfully. Um, and as a result, they were, they were basically yelling at Mitch on the radio, slow down, Mitch, slow down. We did, they didn't want to go one extra lap because if they did, they might have ran out of usable energy. So yeah. that was, and this was after Mitch had actually missed an attack mode attempt um, as well. He had to use attack mode, and he missed the second timing barrier to activate attack mode, and it almost cost them the win. Um, like, like, and as, and as and as Steve mentions, Max Gunther, who was running, I think P six at the time before penalties. <laughs> actually ran out of usable energy and end up finishing stone dead last out of all the finishes. Oh. Poor fella. Um, but, uh, yeah, Mitch missed an attack mode. But, honestly, I don't know about you guys, I love this race. I thought this was a fantastic race. And not for the usual Formula E reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, 
it, it, I love this race because we got a brilliant one-on-one -on -one dogfight all the way through between Mitch Evans and Andre Lotterer. We actually saw the good side. I think for the first time, I think we truly saw the good use of attack mode as a strategical mm. element and how that played into the race because Mitch used attack mode first. He was able to find a way to pass Lotterer, take track position. Lotterer had to use it twice in pretty close succession and couldn't find a way around Mitch on both his attack mode attempts and had to survive that. It was... I loved this race. I thought it was the strategic element of the new Formula E coming into play in perfect fashion and it had a big impact on a great lead duel between Evans and Lotterer, who shook hands and said, well played to the other man after what was an excellent 90-minute Formula E marathon. Yep. And, <laughs> like, I, like, back to last year when Rome was first added onto the calendar, I thought the circuit, the circuit looked good last year, but it felt, mm. in the previous generation of cars, it felt like the circuit was a bit too large, the cars looked a little bit slow... Uh, mm. They couldn't take the curbs too hard or, you know, destroy their suspensions. But in the current generation of cars, the circuit is perfect. It's wonderful. It's great. It was, a, it was a really great race. And a good moment for Jaguar. We mentioned at the top of the show, uh, they had just mutually parted ways with Nelsinho Piquet, the inaugural series champion. Yeah. In, indeed, they just parted ways in there, but they replaced him with Alex Lynn in this round. He finished 12th. Um, this time around, Lynn's a great promise in Formula E in the races he has shown there. Like, I mean, he didn't finish in the, the points time. to Alex Lynn, but he, he did mostly all right for his first time back in that car. And for Evans yep. as well, you know, here here's a guy who's come close to victories a couple of times. Actually had a chance to win this event last year mm. uh, and ultimately dropped down to ninth and had hardly anything to show for it. It's a good win. It, it's a great win for a, for a young driver who's been who's making Formula E something of his own instead of using it as a fallback opportunity and uh it's it's done wonders for his uh for his championship bid as we'll get into in a bit <laughs> would it be fair to say that given their driving styles their nature and and how you know their position in the field mitch evans might be formula e's alex rossi you know uh, that's that's not too far off i mean they pretty much came up together it's funny that isn't it it's funny they both kind of treated their respective shifts in series as like backup plans at first, but they've now really, really starting to gain a foothold in the series now as time goes on. Because Mitch has been pretty solid in Formula E right from the start. I think he's just had a, a few cases of some rotten luck um, on many occasions, but the talent's been there with Mitch. And again, he drove superbly in that race. He, that was a fantastic tactical drive. A very mature, disciplined Mitch Evans performance, especially given... He's facing Andre Lotto, who, as Dario Franchitti pointed out during the race, he's raced a lot of things and has been very fast in all of them. <laughs> and Lotterer is a wily veteran who is more than good enough to win and be a title threat and is an excellent, excellent racing driver. And Mitch beat him in a one-on-one -on -one dogfight. Um, very, very impressive indeed. Um, I completely agree with all of that. I think Mitch is a, is a great talent, and I'm glad that he's... Uh, Made it work for him in that sense. We'll give a quick rundown of the field real quick. RJ, one more time. I know you want to. Mitch Brah! 
wins in Rome with just uh, just under a second from Andre Lotter in second for T-Cheetah. Stoffel Van Dorn. Yay, Stoffel's on the podium. HWA He did it. He did it. Stoffel did it. His car broke down after the race. He did it. It still counts. (laughs) It counts. It counts. There's no city if you don't make it back to Park Ferme rule. It counts. It's a third for Stoffel Van Dorn. Like, I, I, I literally said on Twitter after the race, his car broke down after the flag. Truly, the curse is lifted. Um, <laughs> the curse tried to strike him down right at the end, and it didn't quite happen. I love it. Way to go, Stoffel. He's deserved that for a good few rounds. He's been excellent in that HWA, and I'm glad he's got a really good result to show for it. That win is going to come. That car is not slow by any stretch. No, Just we are we are stiff for stuff here. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Phrasing? Um, <laughs> Stoffel third and 15 points for him. Robin Frins fourth. Another solid result for the Envision Virgin team there. Sadly, his teammate, not the best of days for him. Then the Edam's cars of Sebastian Bramby and a surprisingly trouble-free Oliver Rowland, who, I have to say... I never thought I'd say this sentence because I don't know if anybody saw the charity football match they had with Roma, with Roma's legendary club on the Thursday. Um, Oliver Rowland got nutmegged by Francesco Totti. (laughs) Happens to the best of them. (laughs) No shame in that. (laughs) But yeah, Francesco Totti nutmegged Oliver Rowland. He's never been the same since. (laughs) Nope. He's going to be damaged for life. That's what happens when uh, you literally bust the nuts. Just pull Um, up that gift of Roland in the car during the red flag with his head against the side of the cockpit. Yep. Yep. That that, that just about does it. That was not him in a red flag. That was him thinking of what happened to him on the football pitch on Thursday. Um... (laughs) Poor fella. Lucas Degrassi in seventh. He actually managed to go a whole round without complaining about something. Um, also, I love during the red flag, the, the, like the, the, a cheeky bit of commentary in the box where you see him taking a selfie with, with one of the VIPs at the weekend and Bob Varsher in the back literally goes, oh, Lucas Degrassi smiling. <laughs> I love you, Uncle Bob. <laughs> Uncle Bob was tremendous. We stand, Uncle Bob. What a boy! Like I love that. Like I want to see behind the scenes of that shot. If Formula E can put the behind, I know they have, they've had behind the scenes shots of their commentary box during races. I want that put on the YouTube channel. I want to see precisely what Jack and Dario's um, what Jack and Dario's reactions were to that. I I need to see that for, for, for posterity's sake. Uh, Jerome D'Ambrosio in eighth place, Antonio Felix da Costa in ninth. And Pascal Verlein rounding off the points in 10th, ahead of Sam Bird, who did close over up to 11th, but sadly no points for him. Alex Lynn and his return to the series in 12th, ahead of Oliver Turvey. John Eric Verne, who got fastest lap, but because he wasn't in the points, it does not count. Bad luck, son. Tom Dillman, 15th, ahead of Pachito in 16th. Alex Sims in 17th, who had arguably the shot of the weekend when, I don't know if you saw it in qualifying, he, uh, his, his car broke down and he had to put over to the side and he was given a brolly. <laughs> and he, he just sat back and he watched all the cars do the Super Bowl runs instead. And he looked, he looked like he was the happiest man in the world. It was actually really cute. <laughs> Alex Sims there, everybody. Train spotter. Uh, Daniel Apt in 18th finished a lap down. And poor Maxi Gunther, who ran out of usable energy and broke the rules, finished a lap down. Last of the runners in 19th place. 
3 DNS, Felipe Massa and Adoro Motaro both had drive shaft failures, unfortunately, for Venturi. Just one round after their first win. Oh, very sad. And Ooh. Gary Paffitt, who sadly um, didn't use protection. Um, <laughs> <coughs> and uh, did, did not finish. Uh, and I think check. I should run down the driver's championship because it is insanely close. There are nine drivers within 15 points of each other in the, Hit in the top with it, nine. King. How is this oh, possible? Yours, okay, retaking the championship lead on 65 points, Jerome D'Ambrosio. Behind him on behind him on 64 points is Antonio Felix da Costa. On 62 points is Andre Lauder. On 61 points is Mitch Evans. 58 is Lucas Degrassi. 55, Robin Frins. Two drivers on 54, Jean Egvern and Sam Bird. Eduardo Montero rounds out all those within 15 points in ninth place with 52 points. And Daniel Afton 10th with 44 points. The top nine are covered by 13. 13 yeah. covers the top nine in the championship. Because it's worth pointing out, as I mentioned on social media, Mitch made it seven races with seven different winners from seven different teams to start the Formula E season. Um, very F1 2012, if you remember how that season started out. I think they had seven in. I think they had seven different winners. Seven in the team. first seven. I remember that because that was the F1 2012 video game intro. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. We had seven winners from the first seven races. They were all different, and I think from six different teams as well, which in F1 is unheard of these days, that six yep. different teams won a Grand Prix that season, <laughs> and it could have easily been seven if Checo had cashed in at Malaysia. <laughs> Jesus. Um, it's, it is mental in the championship right now. It is so close. No one has stood out yet. It's just, it's just crazy that... Every day seems to bring out a every seems to bring out a different bit of glory, and the constructors yeah is the constructors super close as well the constructors give you a better picture because there are only two teams with two with both their drivers in the top nine in the championship, and they also lead the constructors championship. Yeah, the top four covered by fourteen points in the constructors. DXT Cheetah are now back in the championship lead of one hundred and sixteen points. Um, Envision. Dropped to second of 109, and then Mahindra and Audi Sport both have 102. Mahindra leading on countback on that one, um, with BMW not far behind on 82. If only Marrakesh had gone a bit better. Could you imagine how <laughs> close BMW would be in all of this? Holy oh. cow. Uh, I, I think I'm right in saying that I think every team has now had a driver on the podium except for Neo, I want to say. Neo and Dragon. Neo and Dragon are the only two teams that have not had a driver on the podium. Even HWA, who's ninth on 22 points, now have Stoffel to, to, for a podium finishing spot. Formula E is fucking mental this year. And we're um, only halfway home. <laughs> good lord, what is, what is going to happen next? We'll find out in two weeks' time on April 27th when the Formula E literal travelling circus figuratively and literally, heads to Paris for the French Grand Prix. Or the French E-Prix, as they should say, in Paris. Yes. That Are we going to get eight different winners? Oh, boy. Like, <laughs> Lotterers do. Lotterers, Lotterers do. do. 
Daniel Apt on a good day, maybe. Alex Sims has been very fast on occasion. He's not won a race so far this season. Pascal Verlein still hasn't won a race this season, and he's been ludicrously quick at times. Yeah. Um, there's, there's still plenty of potential for an eighth different winner here, um, which is crazy. Um, oh, man, what a fun, fun, fun Formula E season we have had so far. And uh, like I said, for me, that might be one of my favorite Formula E race to date, only because it wasn't a crazy shit show and it was still... It was all the elements that Formula E has used in Season 5 to get to this point, and it all just fit in perfectly. Yeah. I loved it. When you, forget, when you get past the pileup, great race. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this is the race that will actually be better on the second watch because you don't have to go through the red flag period. Um, it's even. It will probably be even better on a rewatch, quite frankly. So this, not very, that doesn't happen very often with motorsport races, but yeah. The second watch might actually be better. Funny yeah, because you get to cut right through the red flags. Beautiful stuff. So, we now cut to RJ Okonwala, official Japanese resident correspondent, oh, for the Japan section, as he likes to name it. Take it away, RJ. Okay, um, I am, I'm so sleepy. Um, (laughs) uh, Dre, um, Hmm. I'm guessing you didn't get a chance to watch, uh, the season opening race of the Super GT series at Okayama Circuit. Afraid not, but I did see probably the highlight of the race itself, which led to JB to like the most polite Twitter rant of all time. I would say. Okay. <laughs> well, you're not you're not alone because a lot of people were in that yeah. bucket. So let me just lay out a little bit of content. Super GT had been broadcast to international audiences on the Nissan Nismo YouTube channel, affectionately known as Nismo TV. And this had gone on since middle of 2014 when they partnered with Radio Show Limited till about the end of the 2018 season. About a month ago, Nissan and Grand Central Entertainment, the production company behind Nismo TV, parted ways. Grand Central got to keep the channel that has now been rebranded as Let's Go Racing, and they had planned to get the race on for 2019, only they couldn't get the broadcast rights and the race was not shown. That is a big deal for a series that is clearly on the rise abroad thanks to drivers like Jensen Button and Nick Cassidy and Jan Mardenborough who were all mightily upset and could not believe that it wasn't going to be shown abroad. Oh dear, what a hot mess. Yeah, so that actually ended up to me at about 10 o'clock in the morning with about three hours of the race to go, putting together uh, a very F1 word word and style live stream where it's just the live timing and my audio commentary and some stock pictures from testing. So, so there was okay. no, there was no way to legally watch any footage, not even with Japanese commentary. No, 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 uh, no, there was not, and that's what's so infuriating. Even Nick Cassidy, who again is one of the series' top drivers, uh, pulled out his phone during the driver introduction ceremonies, <laughs> which were being broadcast, to say, "Bring back international television." He had multiple drivers grouped him, which just like, "Hey, what the hell are you doing?" Yeah. 
it says a lot when the most vocal critics of this situation are the drivers themselves. You don't normally ex- see that, and that's uh, quite alarming. Um, Jeez. Yeah, and I wish you could say you missed an incredible race, uh, but you missed a race that was stopped after 30 of the 82 scheduled laps and only eight of them were run under green flag conditions because, folks, it started raining and it didn't stop raining. And we had plenty of wrecks and plenty of carnage, including a four-car pileup in the GT300 field that took out three Nissan GTRs and the new Aston Martin. And uh, the series actually did post a video of on board with J.P. Oliveira in the Aston, having basically no time to react to Kazuki Hoshino's Nissan GTR crashing right in front of him and triggering the pileup. Punt! 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 And of course, there was the dust up between the two Hondas of Naoki Yamamoto, who was leading. Kodai Sukakoshi was trying to catch him. The two of them make contact. The Rayburgana set sends up in the gravel. And after a post race time penalty is applied after the second and final red flag, which took forever for them to come out with the final result of that race, by the way, for whatever mm. reason, we had the number eight Arda Autobax NSX GT win the race of Tomoki Nojiri and Takeazawa. Again, I, I wish I, I could have told you that this race was awesome and we were so hurt to have missed an absolute classic, but it just, uh, it turned out to be a mess. Sigh. Yeah, for Sorry. reference, uh, and Dre, I posted in the chat for Dre's, we're recording the, uh, the, the footage right. of the pileup. Oh no! Yeah, oh, luckily every, everybody was okay, but yeah, there were lots of wrecks and the sponge Shit. barriers took a beating. Oh my god, that's uh, that's that's a bad one. Yeah, and um, I did just want to tie please. a uh, loose end on what's happening with Super GT Broadcast. They're actually partnering with a Malaysian company, Haro Sports Entertainment, to be their official broadcast rights distributor. So there's a good chance that in three weeks' time for the Fuji 500 kilometers on May the 4th, be with you, um, <laughs> we will have the races back on what is, it's no longer Nismo TV, it is now Let's Go Racing, and you can follow them at Go Racing Tweets, if you so choose. They may also have Super Formula coming up this weekend. As seen in Gran Turismo Sport. Yay! <laughs> oh, man. This is a bumper crop grid, and it's a young grid with eight different rookies on the grid out of 20. Hmm. Yeah. Now, of course, Naoki Yamamoto is your defending champion. He's with a new team at Dandelion Racing, as is former F2 driver Narei Fukuzumi who is probably be glad glad that he is not jet-setting between Europe and Japan this year because he <laughs> looked a little washed doing that in 2018 with Arden. Just a tad. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Cassidy is with Vantolin Team Toms. He's partnering the reigning Le Mans champion Kazuki Nakajima. Um, but again, we get to the rookie class, and we get to arguably the most controversial of the rookie class in the Red Bull Team Mugen car, yes, Daniel Tickdom is doing Super Formula full-time. Uh, Lord Daniel Tickdom, the fourth <laughs> Esquire. He's got a... Oh, boy. Yeah, he's, he's got a tough teammate in Tomoki Nojiri, who I feel is probably the most underrated of Honda's factory drivers in Japan. Won that last race and is a very solid driver. Um, 
TCS Nakajima Racing have a very fun lineup, and Alex Palo, who's a GP3 Series race winner and has been lighting it up in testing, and Tadasuke Makino, the F2 feature race winner from last year's Back in Japan. Yes. So that is going to be awesome to see. Um, BMATS with Motopark, um, that is a Japanese-German team with two international drivers, Austrian Lucas Hauer coming over from the DTM series, Gerhard Berger's nephew, and Adrian Newey's son, Harrison Newey, making his Super Formula debut as well. Still a great name. Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> and, and, yes, and the, I believe it is the Bullfrog Grand Prix Real Racing Team have backed Tristan Charpentier, who was 12th place in the BRDC British F3 Championship just to put it in the contest that is six spots behind Billy Monger and three spots behind Jamie Chadwick. Ah. Over on the Toyota side of things, Kenta Yamashita and Yuji Kunamoto is going to be a fun team at Kondo Racing. Yamashita has been tearing it up in practice. Uh, Kamui Kobayashi in the single Team KCMG car from Hong Kong. Yuhi Sakaguchi and Ryo Hirakawa, another fun team at Itachui Next Team Impul. JMS Pimu Saramo Inging with Hiroki Ishiura, one of the oldest drivers in the category, and rookie Shosu Boy, who won 17 of his 19 races last year in All Japan F3. And then, of course, mm. we get to Team Lama with returning yes. veteran Kazuya Oshima. And folks, yeah. Svetlana would be proud. <laughs> yeah. Artem Markalov. The entertainment is here, ladies and gentlemen. The entertainment is oh. here. Artem Markov oh. has arrived. Yeah. Everybody, oh. not. <laughs> yeah. First oh, year yes. First year with the new SF19 car, which, again, you can play in Gran Turismo Sport. It's a fun time. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> so a new car with the new Halo, wider tires. It's a much faster car. You get more... Uh, what is effectively pushed to pass, and the season starts this weekend at Suzuka Circuit. Looks like we got something to talk about next week. That might be the only thing we talk about. I'm right. Here, I'm here for right. a Super Formula special episode. Good, good luck, guys. We're getting a 30 minute episode next week. Um, <laughs> let's just say keeping it 101 might have to go a bit long to pad that out next week. It's a bit like when you've got the mixture for the Kool-Aid and you can't quite get a full jug. You've got to put a bit of water in there to fill it out. That's what next week's show is going to be, basically. Have fun with that, um, basically. We might have to bring Cam in for a rant about the state of play of the ACO. That's how desperate we are at this point. Um, <laughs> it's not ideal, but we've got to live with it. Look, he's so, got experience driving these SF19s in video games. It helps. <laughs> Yeah, but it's thoughts. Yeah, but if the championship's anything like last year with it going down to literally the final lap of the final race, it's going to be a good season. Is that also going to be a Let's Go Racing, RJ? I they are working on it. If they cannot get it, uh the artist formerly known as Motors TV, part of the Monolith, will have it on their service. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll have to subdue sub ourselves to the to the Monolith. <laughs> Yeah, four whole dollars. Can we split this three ways? I think I think we might struggle here. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so are we done being cheapskates for this episode? <laughs> I think we are. Yeah. So check it out on the monolith. Um, that'll be fun. 
Places you can catch us real quick before we get out of here for a whoa, whole whoa, five whoa, minutes. We're not quite done yet. There's one small thing I need to mention. Over last weekend, okay. over last weekend, the Formula Three season has officially begun with the split oh, yes. underway with Formula European with Formula Regional European Championship doing their debut race at Monza. With, no, they were. Uh, that they were when he got, like, yeah, they they were at Paul Ricard. Their rival series, <laughs> Formula Renault Euro Cup, was in Monza. This split is gonna get confusing really quickly. <laughs> also, can I'm, I'm I just already po- confused. Can I just point out, Gran Turismo Sport champion Igor Fraga already has two podiums in his third in the championship ahead of David Schumacher. Get in there, lad. Yes. No one boy. Over in Paul. Over in Paul Ricard, which I'm just gonna call. I'm just gonna call this series Formula European Regional because it's way it's way less confusing for me. So yeah, in their opening weekend, uh, Frederick Vesey took uh, won both races. Uh, Prima were dominant in race one. Uh, Prima got a one two four, and in the next race, I believe they also got a a, a one a one three four, and. There were only ten cars, so and there were only. 10 I was going to say, it was like, was, isn't that series only got like ten cars in it? I saw, that, I saw, I saw a friend of the show, Josh Sitzel, mention that, and I was like, really, ten? It's like watching any lights. But yeah, yeah they, they they have fewer cars, but a more star-studded field. While uh, Formula Renault Euro Cup has twenty-two cars, uh, but it's hard for me to find any race reports because the monolith. Their latest story about the Euro Cup was from last year when it was announced that Alonso was going to have a team in the series, and then after that, no news. Oh God Almighty! <laughs> And I've yet, for, for obvious reasons, I've yet to watch EuroCup races. All of them, all the races are broadcast for free on YouTube with English commentary. Uh, f- <laughs> formerly European Regional, is it's hard to find any content because I think the only place you can watch it is on the Italian Automobile Club's uh, website. And they only have Italian commentary and the video quality doesn't go higher than 480p. <laughs> What year is this? 2008? <laughs> this Jesus. is going to be a long, painful split. Oof. King, it's your, it's now your, your new job to follow this series. Good luck. <laughs> no. There is always room on the All Japan F3 bandwagon, I'm just saying. Oh, dear Lord. Oh. And that's well, King easy. recovers from his new downgrade on on the, on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I'll get out of here for the time being. Basically, you can find us one more time. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Check out all the new Drake vlogs that are on there. Um, sincerely, thank you all so much for the kind words regarding them. It's actually, I've been really motivated on these and... You see, you guys seem to like me bringing back the old school style of just rambling into a microphone. It doesn't sound like it should work on paper, but somehow it does. Don't ask me how. That's how the podcast got started. And I guess we're doing alright there, so... Must be doing something right. Thank you if everyone has been watching. I do really appreciate it. So thank you all so much for that. Um... Uh, we're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Sorry, I had to laugh for a second there because they can just spell out charisma in like small solid letters. I'm not that funny. Gosh. Um, <laughs> really? Uh, like, uh, like I'm on, also on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles at harrison101hd at RJ O'Connell. Follow him. He had to work really hard on that layout for Super GT stuff. He needs some follows. 
Tell them nice things. Um, and at Ryan Eric King. Um, and if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, $5 gets you early access to, to this show and the show we're going to produce later this week as well. And all of our shows for that matter. And if you like us even more, you can back us at the $10 level and you can get into the Supporters Club on our Discord server. Um... And listen to these shows live as they go out. Massive thanks to the huge amount of people that were watching along with us here. Um, Toki, Steve, Henry, Charles, Jason, um, Brian, and Cam. I see you all in there. Thank you all so much. I love that it all said we're all going to fuck off for 118, which I think is great. Um, which I think is hilarious. Um, to be fair, it is like half ten in the UK right now as I'm already as I'm already talking, which means it's going to be even later for some of our other European friends like Jason, who's like an hour later than us. So not ideal. Um, we should really record earlier. Blame the Americans. That's all I always say. Um, <laughs> it's their fault. <laughs> but I, I joke. I love you guys. Um, and yeah, of course, um, all of that can be found on our website, motorsport101.com. Check it out there for all our written content as well. Um, we'll be back later this week or in real time about 10 minutes um, for episode 188 the biking edition I guess you could say as we talk about MotoGP at the Circuit of the Americas IndyCar at Long Beach and World Superbikes at Assen all of that and probably a whole bunch of obscure references and maybe some more phrasing on episode 188 until then I've been Andre Harrison they've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you guys later this week sayonara later y'all Bye!